well. If you need a study sheet, the uh, ushers have some. If you didn't get one when you came in and you'd like a study sheet, uh, why don't you raise your hand and they'll bring one to you. You've got to get their attention. If you need a study sheet, don't be shy. It's okay. It's all right. Just raise up your hand. And a study sheet will help you today. So if you did not get one, um, please make sure that you do. Okay? All right. All right. Title of today's message is Paul's Greeting and Fond Recollections. It's his greeting. That's what we're going to study. We typically will take a book of the Bible here, maybe with the exception in the summertime. But uh, we work our way through uh, books of the Bible, Old and New Testament. We uh, studied 1 Timothy last year and up, and up through May. I took a break in the summer and now we're picking up with 2 Timothy. Uh, we start in the text. I've uh, done two introductions to 2 Timothy and now we finally make our way to the text. But of course we're starting with the uh, greeting. And so uh, I teach... Uh, uh, in our Bible Institute here, I teach uh, how to preach and teach the Bible. And I always uh, recommend to the students that when they're writing a message, especially a textual message or an expository message, that they do not write it like a running commentary. And what that means is, is they don't have a point, like if they don't work, break the verse up and here's a point, and then uh, here's a commentary on that point. Next point, commentary. Next point. It needs to flow, but there are times when that's difficult to avoid. And so today, uh, with this greeting, it's probably going to be a little bit out of my comfort zone. It's going to be a little bit more like a running commentary, and uh, I can't help that because it's a greeting. And uh, so if any of you could do a better job, I'll take your help. <laughs> and I mean that. So uh, <clears throat> at any rate, let's go ahead and get into things if you'll follow along on your study sheet. Today we begin our textual study of the second and last epistle of Paul the Apostle. Now check it out. He writes from death row in a Roman dungeon to Timothy, a pastor he discipled and mentored personally for over 10 years. Now consider this. Every letter has three main parts. It has a greeting the body, and the clothes. And unlike most common modern letters that we write today, we're very slang today, aren't we? <clears throat> unlike most common modern letters, this biblical salutation, salutation, is more detailed because it's very personal. And I hope I can help to capture that for you today. Now, here as the apostle opens the letter, he reveals his feelings by recalling some very fond memories. And we're going to see that in our text, uh, verses 1 through 5. Because of the timeless nature of this introduction, greeting, salutation, we too will be challenged to apply many things that Paul and Timothy would also have pondered. Now, Things were much different then, obviously. They didn't have the forms of communication that we have today. They were at a greater advantage. Huh? That is true. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, we got so much stuff clouding our minds, we don't even know how to communicate anymore. Rightly. See, back then, the only form of communication was personal when you're talking face-to-face -to, -face to somebody or when you wrote them a letter. And so, when you received a letter from somebody, even not too long ago, even, you know, a hundred years ago, when you got a letter from somebody, it was something you held on to. It was of great value. And you held on to that and you read it over and over and over again. And so we're not, we're not taking a microscope to this uh, we're not looking at this any differently, probably a much lighter than they would have, than Paul when he wrote it. He was more considerate. People, because they knew that, again, even a hundred years ago, people took more time when they wrote. They were more thoughtful. 
They explained their thoughts better. And the reader would ponder these things. Why did he say that? And read these things. So this is very, very important. It would be read over and over and over again. So let's go ahead and get into our text. The second epistle of Paul the Apostle to Timothy. Follow along with me as I read verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for preserving these words for us. I pray that I'd be out of the way today and that I'd properly represent you. And we ask, Lord, that, uh, that your words would have free course in this room and in the hearts and minds of the folks that are present. And may your Holy Spirit bless the reading and study of these precious words today. In Jesus' name, amen. First impressions. You know, first impressions are extremely important. If you went on a job interview disheveled and smelling like you needed a bath, forget the job. Huh? If you went on a first date in like manner, you could probably forget a second date. (laughs) But if you went on a first date and you spoke inappropriately or carried yourself poorly, you can forget the second date. First impressions matter, you know, and how you begin a, an important email or text. Both are often misunderstood, would you agree? If you're not careful to start them off and to word things with care and consideration, they get all messed up. I mean, some of you have texted me, you might be smiling right now, and I'm like, what? You, are you, we all know what, we're, what I'm talking about, right? If you send it, And it doesn't have the right, you're not saying things just the right way, especially at the beginning. Man, people just misunderstand. Did you ever get a call and somebody says, I can't, you know, why why would you say that? And you're like, what? Say what? You misunderstood. No, you didn't say it right. A little bit of both. First impressions, very important. This greeting is the first impression as it were. This epistle is being written under the inspiration and recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But think about this. Paul, when he writes this, he's in a dark, dank Roman dungeon. He's not under house arrest like his first imprisonment and back in first Timoth- or back in uh, the other prison epistles that he wrote, in, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, No, 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 no. In in that first imprisonment, when he wrote those four epistles, he believed he was going to get out, and he did. It was like a house arrest. People could freely come and go. No, not this time. He's not going to be released. He's not going to be dismissed. This time he's facing certain death from an executioner's axe. Big old axe is about to lop off his head, and he knows it. That's what's coming. That's his future. His ministry now is effectively over. But he still is ministering because we're reading it today. Huh? You know, sometimes when it feels like you're in the darkest place ever, sometimes God can use that and it will last a lifetime for other people. Hmm? Incredible. What you do matters. What you write matters. What you say matters. He's hoping Timothy can visit him before he dies. He says in verse 4, greatly desiring to see thee. All his traveling associates, as we'll learn as we're studying this letter, all his traveling associates and fellow missionaries, except for Luke at this time in Rome, have abandoned him due to fear. Well, I don't want to be associated with him or else the same thing is going to happen to them. Or shame. 
You know, you know, strange thing about believers, we don't always agree. Isn't that strange? Yeah, you laugh a little bit about that. We don't. Things happen. That's why we've got a book to keep us in line with each other. Amen? So, you know, I mean, he's got this situation unfolding where people are ashamed of him. That's got to hurt him in his heart. There are enemies that he had. They have to be very happy. And, you know, that would be hurting him in his heart. Did you ever have something develop in your life where you know there are people that don't like you and that they're probably going to be happy about your sorry, sorry situation? That ever happened to you? Isn't that terrible that that happens? But that's reality in human life, isn't it? He's going through all these kinds of emotions, wondering what people are thinking. How are things going? And yet, yet, as we'll see, all his work is complete, and he's totally satisfied. He's ready to go home. He's ready to go home and meet the Lord. Now, we'll see that as, as we study on in the future, in the weeks and months ahead. He, he, he's done. He, he realizes that he completed everything that he was called to do. And how is that? I mean, the world was still, it was much smaller than it is now in population, but it was still a big world, and they didn't have, as, as we've, I've already said, the communication devices that we have today, and, and yet he felt like, I've done my job, I, I've got the message out to everybody, I'm, I've, I'm a success, he didn't use those terms, but he felt like he was victorious. Do you know why he could say that? How could he possibly say that? He's one man. How did he say that? Why did he say that? Because he was in the multiplying business. He had lots of other disciples and people that he trained in churches. Churches were multiplying churches. Churches starting churches. And those churches starting churches. And it just spread. And individuals reaching other people and teaching them the Bible daily in their houses and, and discipling them. And they were multiplying individual people, individual believers, and multiplying churches. And he was watching this growth unfold, this multiplication happen. And so he had knew that he had done his job. That, that's why it's possible for one person to reach the whole world. We've already showed you the math on this. I haven't done it in a while. Maybe I need to do it again, huh? won't do it today, but somewhere through this study, you know put that multiplication chart up. It is possible for one person, if you lead one other person to the Lord and train them to do the same thing, one person can reach the world. Paul was in the process of accomplishing these things while he was working. He was diligent, and he knew that. He knew he couldn't do the work by himself. And he raised up people to do it. And Timothy is one of his disciples, one of his students, someone he had mentored. And because of this, he's ready to depart this world and to meet his Savior. Well, wouldn't that be a great way to go out? And I finish my work. Now, this is the context. This is the context in which he writes this letter and the context when he begins this greeting. So we'll start with point number one. Personal greetings. Now notice it begins with an interesting, thought-provoking statement. The apostle of Jesus Christ by the will, by the will of God. Now that's a very interesting statement given concerning his current circumstances. Uh, hold your place here and look over in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Just turn over to your left a couple of pages. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look how he introduces this epistle. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the, what? Commandment of God our Savior. Now, if you go back, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ here, he says, by the by the will of God. He states his calling is by the will of God, and this translates into a synonymous a statement or synonyms like the desire, the, the choice, or the resolve of God, the will of God. Paul is an apostle 
of Jesus Christ by the desire or by the choice of God. God chose him, simply stated, Paul was God's choice. And he was an unlikely character. He was an enemy of Jesus Christ and an enemy of the gospel. In time past, God looked, just think, when he was doing all of these things and speaking blasphemy against the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was a Christian hunter, hunting down believers like you and me, Jewish believers uh, in Jerusalem and, and in Judea and all out, over uh, uh, the land. He would go out and hunt them down. He'd go into Syria and hunt people down. This guy was an arrogant, unlikely character, and in time past, God saw something different about him. He looked at him differently. Well, I tell you, we got to be careful the way we look and judge people. You know that? You got to be very, very careful. I remember when my kids were younger, and they come home uh, from high school uh, in the early days, and, and, they, and they were good kids. I mean, they weren't gnashing that bad, but they would tell me about kids that were on drugs and, you know, and all this nonsense, and they would, they would be not speaking very favorably about these students. And I get it, I get it. But you know what my wife and I would say to them? You better be very careful, because those are people that your mom and dad were. That's who we were in our past. And you never know what God can do with somebody. You never know. So God looks, amen, God looks out and he sees this arrogant, unlikely character and he chose him to accomplish a special mission. Boy, that's in the face of the devil, isn't it? Huh? He picks the most unlikely characters. Boy, aren't you glad Paul obeyed that heavenly vision, that heavenly calling? Aren't you? You know what? He didn't have to obey it. He had a free will. He didn't have to, but he did. Man, we need to obey when God clearly directs us, don't we? And he did. Now, this is important. Paul was called to be an apostle because it was the plan and purpose of God. It was not something that he contrived. It was not something that he aspired to do. He didn't go to... And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a desire. In our study of 1 Timothy, we saw that's where it begins when you're called to ministry, to be a missionary or pastor. Nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong with having a desire to do something for the Lord. Of course it's not. There's nothing wrong to aspire to do something with your life or a career. I'm not, I'm not saying that in a broad blanket statement. But what I'm saying is when it comes down to this issue of Paul... And when it comes down even to the issue of being called to this type of work, he didn't aspire or strive to become this. And that's a good thing. It was a fulfilled calling that came down from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think, 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 think about this. Paul is about to lose his life and be executed as a traitor to Rome for the word of God and the testimony that he held about Jesus Christ. And all of his ministry, all of the work that he did in his service to God actually led to this basic outcome. Uh, Kenzie, would you put James 4.4 on the screen? He says, uh, James writes, and he says, uh, and this may seem like it's not related, but I'll tie it in. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Now when he says world, he's talking about the evil world system, for God so loved the world, right? The people. But here he's talking about this evil, loving the world and the things that are in the world, loving the system of the world. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, that's what he calls it. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world, the system, the evil world system, is what? The enemy of God. Thank you. You see, Paul was no friend of this evil world system. And so you know what it did? It sought to kill him, and ultimately it did. It did kill him, because they were enemies. And he begins the letter this way to remind Timothy and us that obeying God, this is the context, that obeying God's call, I'm not just making this up somehow, make, uh, obeying God's call in the shorter long term 
can bring very unexpected circumstances that will often result in persecution. Second uh, Timothy 3, verse 12, you put that up, says, Yea, in all. It doesn't say some. Yea, in all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, it, it's a fact, suffer what? Now look at that verse. So that really can only mean two things. You're either not in the world, you're not in the world trying to reach it, or you're not living godly. Because if you are doing those things, you're going to receive persecution. Isn't it, come on, let's be honest. Isn't it why you don't want to go next door and talk to the neighbor? Isn't it why you don't want to talk to the person that you know you should, but you're afraid? Afraid of what? What are you afraid of? Oh, well, maybe it would require you to think through your presentation more. Maybe it would require you to think through how you approach them. Maybe it would require some creativity. Hmm? Uh, we all, I'm looking at all of you. I know almost every one of you in here. You all have that capability to be creative. Why not be creative for the Lord Jesus Christ? Huh? Don't say, well, people just aren't open. Listen, I'll tell you, the darker it gets, a light shine brightest. <laughs> At least they appear to shine brightest because it's pitch black. And it's pitch black. We got opportunities. But you have to be creative. And you don't have to fear. Paul writes and he doesn't even appear to be afraid. He even writes in verse 7, if you look at it, for, and we'll talk about this next week, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Look what he writes. Think of where he is, the context. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the spirit that's inside of you. Don't submit to the world. Look, expect these things. They're going to happen. They're just going to. So, thank you, Kenzie. So, I, I, I'm picturing how this thing is unfolding, and Timothy's reading this, and Timothy knows Paul's circumstance. And so, Timothy is being challenged not to question why this is happening to his friend, because isn't that what you would do? The apostle Paul, he's doing so much. He's such a hard worker. He's accomplishing so much. We still need him. Why is this happening to him? Oh, God, please, what would we be praying? Please set him free. Isn't that what we would be praying? And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Look, it, 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 it needs to be understood that this was ultimately, since I'm following the will of God in my service to him, that's the will of God, his service to God. Out making disciples, out uh, ministering, doing the work of a missionary, planning churches, uh, uh, mentoring people, seeing them build up in the faith. When he's out about doing these things, he knows the result of these things is not going to make the world happy. And so therefore, this is a natural thing that's happening to me. It's, an, it's just natural. It's the end result of what I've done. Timothy, you need to understand this because as Timothy's reading, it is very likely in his own mind with the job that he has and the work he's doing, which is very similar to Paul's. He's in Ephesus, but he was also a missionary. He's the pastor in the church of Ephesus, Timothy is. But he's also a missionary, and you know if he's coming to see Paul, he's stopping and ministering to the book of Acts. Why wouldn't he? If he's passing through Philippi, he's going to be meeting with the bishops and deacons there, isn't he? Hello? See, get your mind into this context of this letter. Timothy, he may not be an apostle, but this very same thing could be happening to him someday. He doesn't need to be thinking like, oh, how could this possibly be happening? Because a lot of times, 
when these things happening or start happening, especially in our own lives. And, and it's, it's natural to think this, and, and we can't think naturally. We've got to think scripturally. It, it's natural to even get mad at God. Don't raise your hand. Don't. But how many of you have been mad at God? Maybe not over this exact same thing, but other things. Why is this happening? Well, listen, God's not to blame. We are. For good, in Paul's sake, or bad. Sometimes people pay a price because they've done stupid things. Other people have done right and still pay a price because the world is their enemy for Christ. Are you guys tracking with this? All right. So it's also possible that Timothy might have, the same, have to pay the same price. And so yeah, he's reminded in the will of God. He would be pondering these things. And though you may never have thought it would be possible in your lifetime, it's now becoming clear it could be a likewise outcome for some of us. Huh? I mean, has it not crossed your mind in the last week? Has it not crossed your mind that maybe, maybe, this could be it? Well, I would think that it would. If you know anything about the Bible or God, I would think that you've been considering, wow, we could be raptured sometime soon. The sooner the better. Huh? But we don't know how that window's going to work. There's nothing in church history that happened like, okay, today we switch to this church period. Huh? When you look at the various dispensations, which is a stewardship over a, 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 an order of things that God is doing at that time, every single dispensation or order of things came to an end with the failure of that steward that was put over that dispensation. Well, how we doing reaching the world? How we doing? Okay, you know, we can think very highly of ourselves. We've, we've sent out three churches from here. We, we're, we're doing pretty good. Our room's full. Uh, on a worldwide basis, I'd say believers, I mean, there's a lot of good things happening. You know? I mean, I'm not trying to be a bummer about it all but we're not really doing that great of a job overall. If we're going to grade ourselves, I think we're going to need to be replaced. Huh? The Bible says that there's going to be 144,000 male Jewish virgins who are going to go out into all the world. Now, finally, it's like Stephen was talking about, they're finally going to actually do what they were supposed to do, reach us, reach the world. They didn't. They rejected Christ, so parenthesis unfolded. Now it's our turn, and we're going to be removed. Man, I'm so excited about the rapture, aren't you? I mean, I am. I really am. But did you ever think could be because we ain't getting the job done, and we're going to need replacements? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> well, that's going to happen. It's going to unfold. And we don't have very much time to work, do we? So we should be very busy, be very committed. I mean, this is either true or it's not, isn't it? I mean, you either believe it or not. Well, I believe this, and I believe that. But I don't know about the things in between there. Yeah. We would never say that. We just do it. Huh? We would never say that. Well, that would be too indicting. But we do it. Well, we got to be careful. Timothy, you might have to pay this same price someday. <laughs> you know what's strange? Being in the center of God's will is simultaneously, think about this, 
It's simultaneously the safest place you could possibly be and the most dangerous place you could ever be. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? There it is. It's in Paul's life. And so a lot of times, God's will, because it can be scary, oh, we like to go there when it's safe, but not when it's scary, not when there's fear involved. We'll, re, we'll come back to this subject next week in the passages of verses ahead. You know what's sad to me? America has become the land of biblical ignoramuses. It's a truth. Americans are biblically ignorant. It didn't used to be that way. Some of the best books that I buy with the deepest statements in them are books that are over a hundred years old. They're falling apart that I find, you know, for a, a dollar. It used to be a nickel, now it's a dollar. You know, in the in the fairs at the book, the old book tents, you walk in and it smells musty. You know, and you, you find these books. Oh, here's a book on from that was written to Sabbath school students, the uh, kids. Uh, you know, in the third to sixth grade would go, uh, even uh, at all ages, would go to Sabbath school. They'd go to, to learn about the Bible on Saturday and come to church to learn more on Sunday. And you can read in some of the books I have, they're deep theological truths. The third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders. Kids that age. Boy, not anymore. Listen. Uh, America is a land of the biblically ignorant. That's why we got all this stuff going on around us, by the way. People think the Bible is boring and pointless. You know, when people say that to me, and they do, I say, well, have you ever read it? Oh, and of course they say, well, yeah. No, 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 no. More than a minute and a half. And then you give up. Did you ever read the whole Bible? Did you ever pray and say, God... This is your book, and I pray you'd reveal truth to me. Listen, people think it's boring and, and, and pointless because they don't read it. Uh, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read, Isaiah said. You need to read it. If you're ignorant of the Scriptures, for sure, you're automatically ignorant of God's will because His will is revealed in His Word, like we just read. Yea, and all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus suffer persecution. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. He doesn't want it to, but he loves you. But it's going to happen. There are certain things that are just going to unfold. The Bible reveals those things. If you're ignorant to what the Bible says, you're ignorant of the stories, you're ignorant of the Old Testament, the New Testament, then you're ignorant of God's will. And if you're ignorant of God's will... God's individual, particular plan for your life, what He wants you to do, where He wants you to be, cannot be fulfilled. It can't be. It just can't be. If you're born again, you'll live your life, you'll die, you'll go to heaven, having failed in the purpose that God has for your life. It's all connected. Paul was not ignorant. Paul obeyed God's purpose for his life, and so should we. See, God has a specific plan and purpose for your life. And that means you got to know what the Bible says. This is why we're, what we're seeing today, it's churches have gotten away from what the Bible says, and they're producing Hollywood-style shows in order to appease people. That is the truth. It's just the truth of the matter. We get folks that come and visit here all the time. I'm saying regularly, and that's not to offend any of our, our guests here. We have many guests here, many first-time guests. Not offending you, and you don't have to feel uncomfortable. But we have a lot of folks that come here, and they're like, well, that isn't church. They're not used to hearing the Bible preached. It's uncomfortable, and trust me, it is uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable for me as the preacher. I don't necessarily want to get up and, and say these things. But I must. You know, uh, I, I really appreciate it. I heard something just a couple weeks ago, and it really was a blessing to me. 
There are certain things, because we know the Bible, I, I do, there are certain things that I value. And because of that, it's not a matter that I choose not to do those things. I won't do those things. Like, I, you know, I, I'll just pick, you know, drink, smoke, fight, cuss, chew, and all, any list you have, whatever's on your list, or, you know, the list is very lengthy, whatever it is in your world. That's not necessarily in my world. It's just a list. But it isn't that I won't do those things. I can't. I can't do those things. That's helped me. I can't do them. Huh? So when somebody says, well, you just won't do that, or you won't, you won't drink, or you won't, you won't go see this, or you won't go let that. No, no, it's not even a matter that I won't. I won't, but it's that I can't. I love God and believe the Bible. I'm not any better than anybody else. Sometimes I have a desire for those things, not those things. But to sin, but I can't do those things. I can't. I want to be faithful to my Savior. Especially now, because it looks like we might be meeting Him soon. Huh? Okay. Okay. So America is ignorant, but Paul isn't. He wasn't. He fulfilled the specific plan that God has for his life. And, and if you know the Bible, you can too. Because the Bible's either true or not. So what are you going to choose? Your own reasoning or are you going to choose what the Bible says? Now, maybe you need some help. Well, I, I don't know what God's plan is for my life. Listen, we may not know exactly what that is either as your pastors, but we are here to help you try to figure that out. So if you need some help, no crime in that. you got plenty of people around here, not just your pastors, plenty of people around here that are willing to help. Next, we see a consoling declaration which makes Paul's grave situation very acceptable. Look at verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. This greeting also contains this incredible statement, according to the promise, the promise, promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. My friends, although it is possible you may have to lay down your life for Christ's sake, like Paul. It's unlikely for the majority of believers in this world. Unlikely, at least at the moment, it's unlikely. But more likely, just experience persecution for believing the Word of God. So remember, no matter what happens, you're a child of God. I got a, a picture hanging on my wall. I look at it every single day. I am a child of God. I love to remember that. It's according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So please remember, no matter what happens, you're a child of God. You're an heir according to the promise of abundant and eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus. So persecution, trouble, tribulation, that's going to pass. It's all going to pass. And sooner or later. You know, what is the worst possible scenario that could happen in your life? that you would, what? Die. That's the worst possible thing could happen. You'd die or be executed like Paul. I mean, he's facing the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody. I mean, really and truly, that's what we fear the most, death. Even believers were like, hmm. But you know, the truth of the matter is, all that is is a promotion to the presence of Jesus Christ. So the worst thing could ever happen to us as human beings is really the best thing could ever happen to us in the end because uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're going to be immediately ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the very worst thing could ever happen to you is actually a promotion. I know that doesn't make it any better, but it's still true, isn't it? So whatever you experience in this life, you have the promise of eternal life. And then he adds a personal touch to it. Look in verse 2. 
To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He lays out who he's writing this to, and a very personal touch is added. He calls him my dearly beloved son. And he's not referring to him in the sense of a religious title called father, but he's speaking as a man that discipled and trained him for over 10 years. And so he earned the right to say this to Timothy. And because of this, if you were doing that type of work here in our local church, if you were discipling, let's say, somebody younger, and you really invested in their life and helped them a lot, you too could be able to make a statement like this. I hope that you could experience that. Personally mentoring somebody. Maybe you personally mentored someone in your Christian life and, and helped them, and you're kind of on their list as somebody they look up to. Well, that brings a lot more accountability to you. That's what mentoring, discipleship, investing in people does. It brings accountability to your life. For you as the mentor, the discipler. But you could say that. It would certainly be true. I have some folks that I feel like I could say that to at my age now. Very important. Very endearing statement. And then... He adds something very important. Look at it. It's the assurance of God. You say, assurance? Where? It says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Look at that list. Those are all blessings that we need to remind ourselves of every single day. Grace. You're not getting what you really should get. Well, I'm glad of that. Well, the grace of God can get you through anything. You know that? Hello? I hope you're just pondering these things, and that's why you're so quiet today. Mercy and peace belong to you, Christian. If you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, grace is yours. Mercy and peace. Those are things that belong to you. So when you fail, when you're not the person that you should be, grace, mercy, and ultimately peace, they're yours. I like that. I'm very thankful. Next we see Paul's fond recollections. Point number two. His remembrance and prayers. Look at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance. Remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. I want you to think about this. Paul prays night and day. Now this doesn't mean that he monkishly prays continually without ever stopping. Uh, a similar scripture we see in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. It's real simple. You can memorize that pretty easy. Pray without what? Ceasing. Look, anyone with common sense can see that he's not talking about, thank you, that he's not talking about praying every minute of the day, every moment of every day. What he's simply saying is he says do, he does not ever cease to pray for Timothy. When he says pray without ceasing, we should never stop praying. Not every second of every day where you lock yourself in some, you know, you, 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 you grow a beard under your, under your chin and your neck, uh, ladies and gentlemen. No. <laughs> no, I mean, he's not talking about some strange monkish thing, you know. Or you shave a circle on your head, you know, right here. And, I mean, he's not talking about that. He's talking about always be, never cease to pray. And so he's never cease, he never ceases to pray for Timothy. Why? And this is the part I like. Because he remembers him. He's important to him. He's thinking about him. 
He's thinking about his work and what he's doing and what's ahead. He's thinking about the, the, the perils that may befall him. He's thinking about the blessing that he is. He's thinking about his family. He's his dearly beloved friend. He's thinking about his life. And so when someone says that they're praying for you, isn't that a blessing? Because they were thinking about you. They were thinking about you and thinking favorably about you, hopefully. Thinking about you. We have a weekly prayer list here. Some people are on it for a brief time due to their temporary needs, and others are on the list longer due to more permanent or lasting needs. And Paul never stops praying for Timothy, uh, whether he's on the prayer list or not. As a pastor and as a missionary, Timothy requires these types of prayers. Now, I always appreciate it when you tell me that you're praying for me. I have some of you that tell me you pray for me every day. Thank you for that. It's very humbling. I appreciate it when you say you're praying for my family without ceasing. And it's not because somehow I'm more important than you. I, I, I don't think that. But my job does come with incredible burdens that most don't comprehend. And also, if something happens to me, there's more widespread ramifications. Would you agree? As the leader, the under-shepherd, under Christ, here in our church. If something happens to my family or a family member, it affects me deeply and therefore it can affect you and our church, even in the operation of our church. And I, I just want, you know, I'm very hesitant to say such things, but it's here. It's right here. It's important. I remember before I became a pastor, I remembered how much my pastors meant to me and I didn't always I didn't always like them I didn't always like the decisions they made I didn't always like the way things would unfold toward me in my life but I understood their calling and I was gracious to them which is what I appreciate from you It's uncomfortable to ask for daily prayer. Circumstances, hey, pray for me, this is going on. Pray for us, we got a discipleship workshop. Circumstances, situation, certainly, no problem there. But to pray daily, that's very humbling to, re to make that request. So I'll make it on behalf of Aaron and Corey and Stephen. Is that a blessing? to know people are praying for you? Huh? And pray for Aaron. He needs an extra amount of prayer, too. <laughs> <clears throat> Partly because I'm the boss, right, Aaron? Mainly because of that, huh? Yeah, it's what, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about that tomorrow, Aaron. <clears throat> I'll call you at home. Don't show up. At, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, you have three people back there that care about that. <laughs> By the way, I, I went into the kids' uh, class here, and they gave me a beautiful little card. And they said, we made this card for you, Pastor Tom, and just these little munchkins, and they look so cute. And, um, and I thought, are oh, they going to grow up someday? <laughs> but they're cute. And, and the one girl said, where's Pastor Aaron? And she said, would you go get Pastor Aaron? And I said, he's an underling. He doesn't matter. <laughs> this just happened a little bit. And she looked at me like this. <laughs> mean. And then I'm like, she doesn't get that this is a joke. You got to be careful. And so I'm like, I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Aaron's, Aaron's awesome. You know? So, that unfolded. How does that make you feel? Really good.
Finally. Yeah. Well, I do pray for you every day. I do love you, Aaron. But I love teasing you, too. He just attracts that, doesn't he? He just does. That's for sure. And in these prayerful thoughts found within this profound greeting, we find some greatly, uh, something greatly lacking in our culture today, and that's Paul's thankfulness. Look at it. Paul was thankful for being able to serve God with a pure conscience. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. That without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Hmm. Greatly desiring to see thee. Hmm. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. Paul mentions his forefathers, Jewish patriarchs he wrote about in the book of Hebrews. You know, he would have wrote uh, Hebrews chapter 11. That's a great, boy, don't you love that chapter in the Bible? Don't you love that? Part of our assignment in discipleship is to write that out. And I love writing that out. I love studying those saints in there, saints of old. Uh, Paul would have wrote that 25 years earlier from writing this letter. And so he knew all about those men as being previously a Pharisee and studying the scriptures and then getting saved and really understanding the faith that they had. It's the great hall of faith, the chapter outlining the heroes of faith, men whose lives that Paul studied, men, who, men uh, 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 of whose lives uh, 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 which that he he. he, he, he followed, that he, his faith he followed, who he preached with a pure conscience. And how could a guy that did the things like he did have a pure conscience? Well, it wasn't a pure conscience from the evil deeds that he committed when he was lost, persecuting believers and even seeing Stephen, uh, the martyr, seeing him stoned. It wasn't that, but it was after his salvation that he was able to, to, to look back, and, and though he looked back at those things, and I, I have no doubt, oh, he regretted all the stuff that he did, but he still could say he had a pure conscience because he knew that he was washed clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, anything that you've done in the past, there's nothing that the blood of Jesus Christ uh, does not remove the stain of. Nothing. Jesus Christ is wonderful, isn't he? Wow. So he was able to serve God by faith, just like those saints, but this time it was through the grace and knowledge of Christ. And he knew no matter what stain he was spotted with in the past, that it was removed by the blood of Christ. And so for that, he was very, very thankful. You know, no one here, no one alive for that matter, deserves what Christ did for us, and yet he did. You know what? I did a lot of stupid, wrong, bad things in my life. And I regret them. And sometimes I share them with you, with folks, and I, I feel bad about even sharing it, to be honest with you. I don't like it. But you know what? I've got a clear conscience because Jesus Christ has paid the price for my sin. And I'm so thankful for that. He was also thankful for Timothy's friendship, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. He loved Timothy. Timothy loved him. Timothy knew the apostle was going to be executed soon. And as a Roman citizen, his mode of death was actually considered very honorable. And that was beheading, not being crucified. But beheading, that was an honorable way for a Roman citizen to die. You know, the Nazis, that, uh, and the, after Nuremberg and their trial after World War II, uh, those Nazis that had to do with the, uh, with, with the slaughter and, and the Holocaust, the murdering over six million Jews, innocent people, uh, they had a mode of death. Do you guys know what it was, those Nazis that, were, that were, uh, got the death sentence? It was to hang by the neck by a wire, like a, like a coat hanger. And I'm telling you, that was a dishonorable way for them to die. They wanted to die. They all requested a firing squad. 
That was an honorable way for a soldier to die, and they didn't deserve that. So even in Paul's death, he was honored, as strange as that may sound. But can you imagine how Timothy felt? Along with all the pastoral burdens he felt, and all the work that he had done throughout Asia Minor and the world, the known world, uh, Paul's imminent death would have been weighing heavy on his heart, and that would have brought him to tears. And we shed tears when we're deeply burdened. I hope that you do. Maybe you don't cry very easily. Some don't. I get it. I do. I shed tears when members of our church die. I shed tears when people that are beloved to me pass away or going through difficulties. Even though I know where they are, even though they're in the presence of Christ, it's still grievous. You know, the Bible does say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and would you put it up on the screen for me? But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's talking about believers, their body, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We sorrow when our brothers and sisters die, but not like people with no hope. I remember being in the Philippines, and you could tell the, thank you, Kenzie, you could tell the uh, funeral procession, they'd carry the casket down the street and have a, an entire procession following it, and you could tell the funeral of a believer versus the funeral of someone that was lost and unsaved. The lost and unsaved were wailing uncontrollably. Believers were weeping and crying, but it wasn't the same. It didn't sound the same. You could tell a difference. It'll be a great joy for Paul to see Timothy one last time before leaving this place. And I certainly assume it brings great joy to our dying loved ones to see our faces before they depart. Maybe you've had the, the opportunity to be there when someone you love passes away. Maybe not. It's why people don't want to be alone when they're dying. I guess when you know Jesus Christ, though, you're not alone, are you? You know what I find interesting about this? And I pondered this for the last several weeks, actually. That Paul is the one that's going to die. He's the one that's going to die. Be beheaded. It'll be over quickly. But here in this salutation and throughout this letter, he's the one comforting Timothy. Isn't that something? That's strange. It happens to me all the time. And I call them memory things that might seem macabre to you or things that might not, it might, might not be seemly to think of such things, but, you know, it's an incredible blessing to be with a dying saint. I count it a great privilege. I have countless memories because of my work. It puts me in that situation. And as odd as it seems, and this happens all the time, and I tell them that. As odd as it seems, I end up the one crying, and they're petting me in the head or holding my hand and comforting me. It happens all the time. You know, those are, it's strange how valuable that is. That's a, a valuable thing to experience. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't enter into this like, oh, this, this is fun. No. I, I, frankly, I don't even think about it. But looking back, what great value. How valuable is a human life? No wonder Timothy had tears. 
Paul was thankful for his life and his friendship. And Paul was thankful for the remembrance of Timothy's unfeigned, that's not a word we use, unfeigned faith. In verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, he's thinking about him, and it brings him great pleasure, which dwelt first in, my, in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice. And we'll talk more about these ladies in the future. And I'm persuaded that in thee also. It wasn't when he uses that word persuaded, he's not like, eh, it wasn't sure. No, he says, I know for sure. That is, that's the old English way of saying that. I know that's true, that it's in thee also. And I know where you got it from. I know where it came from. Unfeigned, not counterfeit, not hypocritical, real and sincere. Real, it's sincere, it's for real. This is the type of faith God's looking for. Faith that's real. Many serve God by faith, but perhaps our motives at times are feigned, insincere. Again, the, the Bible's either true or not. And if we're going to put our faith and trust in these words, may it be unfeigned. May it be sincere. Not picking and choosing. That would be feigned. Picking and choosing certain things, skipping over things that are uncomfortable, that we don't like, that's feigned. Well, we want it to be unfeigned, not counterfeit, not hypocritical, real and sincere. This unfeigned faith was modeled for him as he grew up. I love that it says that. He had a good godly heritage. You know, if you were brought up in a Christian home, you should be very thankful your parents aren't perfect. Your grandparents not perfect. Who is Jesus Christ? But they can pass on that kind of faith. What would your life be like if you didn't grow up in a Christian home? I didn't. And I wish I would have. But I didn't. But if you did, you should thank your parents. You should thank them. Maybe you call them today and thank them. Maybe thank a Sunday school teacher. Some of you have told me how meaningful that some Sunday school teachers have been in your life. Or maybe an individual or a person. How thankful that you were for them. I had a strange thing happen to me just while the service, well, during the greeting. Uh, Jason, you came up to me and said that. It just, it, it, I hope, I gave my testimony and I told you about my neighbor who came over and, and was on me. I mean, he was my friend, actually. And he, he, we used to go for boat, they'd take us for boat rides around Lake Cable. I mean, it wasn't like he came over and picked a fight with me. He was a nice guy. It's your uncle, your Uncle Dick. And uh, you just told me he's your uncle. It blows my mind. But, you know, I, I hope that I'll have a, an opportunity to convey to him, or you can, too, for me, how important that was that he came and said that to me. That... That actually caused me, that incident was a catalyst that caused me to go to church and get saved three weeks later. I mean, he wouldn't have a clue as that. How important is that? That's really valuable to me in my life. He is really valuable to me in my life. I hope I get a chance to tell him that. Now I, I can now, I guess. I got a contact got an open door. I will. We'll talk more about that. What a blessing that is. Boy, we're always looking for big stuff that are blessings. And that's a big thing, but it can be hidden, huh? Man. Man, I appreciate it. Appreciate people in my life that said things to me that helped me. Timothy's mom and grandma, and we presume his dad was unsaved, uh, brought him up to know the Holy Scriptures. Look over in chapter 3 as we're getting close to finishing here today. <clears throat> Look in verse 15. <clears throat> I told you we talk more about these ladies, and we will. It says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He was taught the Holy Scriptures from his grandma Lois and his mom Eunice since he was a little boy, and it really mattered in his life. It really made a difference. And Paul was thankful for those seeds that were planted in his life, seeds 
that helped him to grow up to be the man that he is today. And we always need to be investing into people, especially our kids, especially our young people. We need to be investing in them. And Timothy received the, uh, the same like faith that his mom and his grandma had. And their names are recorded forever in God's book. Imagine that. We're going to get to meet them someday. Paul had observed Timothy's faith for 16 years. Over 10 years he was with him. For 16 years, though, he's known him, and he knew his faith was genuine. So Timothy could press forward until it was like Paul, until it was his time to depart with that kind of faith. So please listen. This is the context of this salutation. These final instructions that we find in chapters 1 on, after this salutation, the rest of chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, these would greatly benefit him. And Paul knew it. These are his last words to him. And they're really important. And this, this greeting is just teeing up what he's about to read. And they're going to greatly benefit us. That's Paul's salutation. It sets the stage for the rest of the letter. Paul's inspired last words, they're sincere. And the Holy Ghost preserved them for us to obey. Amen. Would you bow your heads, please?